God brings life. God brings salvation. God brings these gifts for you and for all people. God brings life and salvation for all people. That's what Peter said. This is a sermon that Peter gives. And as he has given this sermon, there is a big story behind it. And you may not have had a chance to review that story, or you may not even remember that story. So I want to refresh your minds. There was a Roman centurion in charge of the whole Italian brigade. His name was Cornelius. And Cornelius was an interesting man because of being such high authority. He also was a God-fearer. That means he was a Gentile who respected and believed in the God of Israel. However, he is not a Jew. He is not circumcised. He is unclean. Cornelius was a generous man. He gave money and lots of his money to the poor. And not only did he give money to the poor, he prayed daily. In good rabbinic fashion, you didn't pray unless you prayed three times a day. You prayed in the morning, you prayed at noontime, you prayed in the afternoon. And it says specifically that he was praying at three o'clock, so we, we assume that Cornelius probably was following the prayer requirements of the Jews. He was praying at three o'clock when in this prayer an angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him and startled him. He told Cornelius, the angel told Cornelius, there is a gentleman. His name is Simon Peter and he's down in Joppa which, uh, if you're not familiar with Joppa, um, that's the old biblical city name for the current city of Tel Aviv. And so he said, Peter is down in Joppa, and he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Simon was a tanner. It means that he tanned, he cured um, hides from animals, made clothing out of them, made blankets or whatever, and, and so he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And the angel tells Cornelius, send some men down to Simon Peter and tell him that you would like to hear his message. And so it's interesting that the angel knew what was in Cornelius' heart. He wanted to hear this message that he had heard rumors about. And so he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He sent two of his household servants, and then he also selected one of his soldiers, a personal attendant or probably more like a personal guard. He sent the three of them down to Joppa. Now, Cornelius is in charge of the Italian brigade. He is not in Judea. He's up in Galilee in Caesarea. And so he sends these gentlemen down to Joppa, and... In the meantime, Peter is going out 
to pray at noon. And he's praying on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house. It's a flat roof. And as he goes to pray, it says that he was hungry. But he went to pray while they prepared the food for his lunch. And I thought this, I just thought this idea this week that maybe that's a new diet tactic. If you get hungry, maybe we should pray. My doctor told me I have to lose some weight, so I'm thinking of all these options. <laughs> so, so, the, so, so the, the prayer is happening up on the roof, and as Peter is praying, he has a vision. And the vision is that the heavens open up, and from the heavens comes down this big, large, white sheet. It's brought down by the four corners, and as it comes down from heaven, Peter sees upon this white sheet all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, the whole gamut, clean and unclean. And as the sheet comes down, the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, speaks to, to Peter. And it says, Peter, get up and kill and eat. Now, this thought to a good Jew would be abhorrent. I mean, lamb, yes. Pig, no. Sea bass? Yes. Shellfish? No. But they're all mixed together. And God is speaking to, to Peter, and he's saying, Peter, get up and kill and eat. No, 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 no. No, God. You don't know what you're asking. Have you ever heard that Peter could be a little stubborn? God had to show him this vision three times. I mean, if you saw a vision from God, would it take more than once for you to change your mind? <laughs> for Peter, it took three times. So, Peter has now seen this vision. And it is the vision of these animals that he's supposed to kill and eat unclean animals. In the meantime, the three gentlemen that started their trip a day or two ago from Caesarea are now arriving at Simon the Tanner's house. And as they come to the house and knock on the door, they ask to meet with Peter. And so Peter meets with them. And as he meets with them, they say, we've been sent by Cornelius, the head of the Roman brigade in Caesarea, and he wants to visit with you about the faith. He wants you to share a message with him. Now, how many of you, if somebody came to your door and said, well, there's a whole bunch of people that want to go to your church. Will you show us the way? <laughs> I, I mean, that's kind of what's happening here. I mean, 
evangelism wasn't going out knocking on doors here. They came to Peter's door and they said, we want your message. So Peter goes with them back up to Caesarea. And as he meets up with Cornelius, they stand outside and they visit a little bit. And then Peter does the most awkward thing you could ever imagine a Jew to do. He steps inside the house. <laughs> you look confused. It's awkward because Jews do not enter an unclean space, an unclean house. This is a Gentile's home, and Peter has just walked in. And this man, Cornelius, has put a spread out. I mean, it is a feast. And Peter sits down to eat. And what, what he says, what he says to Cornelius is, it is against the law that I have known my whole life to enter into your house and to eat with you, to share hospitality. That's what it means to eat with you, right? I mean, hospitality. And, and what Peter is saying to him is, but God has showed me something different. God has showed me that, that God shows no favoritism to anyone, to Jew or to Gentile. Now, what's interesting about this story is that the church, Peter and the apostles, when we talk about the early church, it was really Peter and the apostles and the believers that they were gathering, the followers that they were developing. In that church, they relied upon God for direction, for timing, and for focus. God had acted. God had given his promise to the Gentiles. God wanted Peter and all followers of Jesus to know that God shows no favoritism. Now, I need to stop right here and tell you I need to repent. Because that convicts me God shows no favoritism. There are too many times in my life when I have showed favoritism, and I'll share with one in particular. We pass, I pastor not only the church, but this phenomenal school, and one of the gifts that God has given us is um, these wonderful children that come here every day. And a special gift that God has given Patty and me is a granddaughter who comes here every day. And I watch out for all of the children, and I share stories with all of the children, but there's one that I always watch with more attention and more care than all the others. I repent. I show favoritism to my granddaughter. But don't we all show favoritism? at one time or another, maybe, maybe when we're driving through 
a neighborhood of a different socioeconomic status than ours, or maybe the neighborhood is primarily a different skin color than ours, and we maybe don't show more favoritism, maybe we show less favoritism. When we interact with people, do we interact more friendly with the people that can give us something than we do with those who cannot? God shows no favoritism. What God is telling Peter is that in the church there are no second-class citizens. Cornelius and the other Gentiles that have gathered to hear this message of Peter have believed this message. What's interesting is it says that Cornelius gathered his family, all of his family, and his friends so this is, this is a new house church in Caesarea. And as they have gathered, they have heard the message and they have believed the message. But there's another complication. Not only have they believed the message, but the Holy Spirit has come upon these Gentiles. The Holy Spirit had never come upon Gentiles before. It only had come upon Jews. And so now they're in a quagmire because what do we do? Because we have never baptized an uncircumcised believer. So did Peter say, all right, let's go circumcise all the men and then we'll baptize everybody. No, it's not what he said. Because God shows no favoritism. He said, let's take them to the river and go baptize them all. Jew and Gentile. Or in this case, Gentile and Gentile. Cornelius was baptized even without circumcision because the Holy Spirit had come upon these believers as they gathered together to hear the message of Jesus from Peter. Now, when this all got back to Jerusalem, when Peter got back to Jerusalem, they thought, the other apostles, believers in Jerusalem, had thought that Peter had gone too far. In case you think I'm overstating this, let me read the first three verses of chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that all the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. This is why you know they were truly a church, because the preacher is getting criticized. You entered the home of the Gentiles, and you even ate with them, they said. I mean, it's bad enough that you took that step across the threshold, but then you chose to eat with them as well. They thought Peter had gone too far. Pastor, a friend of mine uh, used to do training for Crossways. I don't know if you're familiar with Crossways. It's a Bible study program. Um, they have two-year program, one-year program, short-term programs, but they're great, great ways to 
delve into the Bible to learn your scriptures. If you ever have a chance to a crossways study, I would encourage you to do that. But I remember Tim was telling us the story during one of the training sessions about one of the lessons that they taught. And one of the big lessons, and some of you that, are, that have been around here for a while have probably heard me say this, but, but you don't own anything. <laughs> God owns everything. What you have been given, you are called to steward. And, and so um, Crossways is one of the great teachers of this um, theological viewpoint. You don't own anything. It's all God's. And he shared the story of one of the pastors who'd gone through the training, went back to his home church the next Sunday, and he preached that particular word in a sermon. And, and he said that the congregation received it and then met afterwards and asked him to resign. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a true story. And I would just say that I think the pastor must have been a really great preacher because he had to get under people's skin somehow. And the only way you can really do that is to be a great preacher. I mean, to really irritate you. So the question that he might have asked is, how is God's company doing? <laughs> What do you mean, God? It's my company. No, no, how is God's company doing? It's not your company. How is God's farm doing? <laughs> how is God's 401k doing? <laughs> how is God's 403b? How is, how is God's assets doing? Are they working to support the kingdom of God? How are the mountain home and the lake home and the boat doing? Are they contributing to the kingdom of God? I mean, that's the question that you would ask, right? If you wanted to get at the point that you don't own anything, that it all belongs to God, it can be irritating. Did the pastor go too far? <laughs> Did Peter go too far? Peter tells them the whole story from the beginning. He tells them everything. And they listen. And they didn't ask Peter to resign. Because Peter said this, I remember what Jesus told us. Remember when he told us that John baptized with water? But he said, we would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus told us that? John baptized with water, but we would, we would baptize with the Holy Spirit. When the people heard this, they stopped objecting and resisting, and they began to praise God for the Gentiles. In verse 18, again, underscores this point in chapter 11. 
Then I thought of the words, the, Lord, the Lord's words when he said, John baptizes with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. God has done this. God brings life. God brings salvation. God is the one who acts. God is the one who has done this. It was not Peter. It was not the apostles. It was not Cornelius and his family. It is God who does this. And God will move the church. God causes sinners to receive the gift of new life. Because God is the bringer of salvation and life. Let me conclude by saying that God still acts today. If you read the news, the articles about the church, especially the church in North America, you may be beginning to wonder, does God really act? Because all I see is the church in decline. Some of you may come from congregations that are contemplating closing. Or maybe you've come from a church that is closed. And you begin to question, can God do anything today? My question to you, to all of us, to you and to me, my question is this. Are we still praying? Are you praying for the church? Am I praying for the church? Are we praying for God to do something? When I go to pastor's meetings, which I try to stay away from as much as possible, but on occasion I have to go. But when I do go to these meetings, what I hear is, well, this is the latest strategy. This is our new tactic. This is the vision that we want to change to. This is our new mission. Now, nothing against vision and mission and strategies and tactics and all that. But that relies upon us. That doesn't rely upon the Lord. So if we're truly concerned about the church and its future here in North America, Let's start praying. Let's start praying together. I talked about the daily text back there. You can get it online. Let's start finding the word together, praying together, asking God to lift up the church again, to be open to where God may lead us. Because remember, God shows no favoritism. Will you pray with me? Gracious and heavenly God, we come to you because you are the great agent of salvation and life. Be with us as your church. Help us to stop trying to be the church and help us to begin to do the church, to be your hands and your feet to where you call us. 
Help us to lift up ourselves so that we can help serve your people. And may, we, may when we show favoritism, dear God, we pray that you would convict us because your good news is intended for all people, even the shepherds, those scum out there in the desert because they're not scum to you. They're sons and daughters to you. And may we have that perspective going forward that there is no scum, that there are just sons and daughters of the Most High God. May we be your hands and feet to connect your people back to your word, to your message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.